we begin, I want you just to ponder a question. The question is this. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you His disciple? And if so, what exactly does that mean? On the surface, that's kind of an easy question to answer. I mean, we're sitting here in church on Sunday morning. It's easy for us to kind of kick our feet up and relax and say, Well, of course I'm a follower of Christ. I'm at church on Sunday. But I think if you'll, if you'll consider that question more deeply, I think, you'll, I think you'll agree it's a pretty penetrating question. Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Our text today is going to be in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. And today we're going to look at Jesus' call, uh, his call to be his disciples. And in particular, we're going to see his call to his first followers, which happened very soon after he returned from the wilderness temptation. Now, of course, we didn't look at anything last week because uh, we had the inclement weather and, and the snow and the ice and everything. So you may have kind of forgotten, but two weeks ago when we looked at this, Jesus had gone to the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil. He comes back onto the scene, and it's right after he gets back that John the Baptist points him out as being the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he points out Jesus, Jesus as being the Christ, and some of John's followers begin to follow him. Now, what I want you to notice today is that Jesus began and continues his ministry today by calling ordinary people to be his disciples. He calls people like us to be his disciples. And he does it either personally or through other Christians. And my hope and my prayer is that if you've never become a follower of Jesus, that you'd do that today. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, my hope is that you'll commit to following him better and to be obedient to fulfilling his great commission. Because that's, that's what the great commission is, is going and making disciples of all nations. So if you have John chapter 1 found, I want you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to begin reading in verse 35 and just read down through the end of the chapter. It says, Again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? They're inviting themselves over. He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. So it's a good chance that Andrew, Peter, and Philip were all friends. Because we know that uh, Simon, uh, Peter, and and, uh, and and Andrew had a fishing business with James and John. So anyway, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, it really marked the beginning of the end of John the Baptist's ministry. Of course, John the Baptist, you remember, was the forerunner of Christ. His job was to prepare the way of the Messiah and to point him out to the people. And, and remember, that's what happened in our text uh, two weeks ago, and, and it happened just before our text that we read today. Now, it does it again in verse 36. And, and I, I notice here that John knows he's not the star of the show. The star of the show is Jesus. And, and that's who he wanted to get the attention. He didn't want the attention for himself. He didn't want the limelight. He wanted it to be on Jesus. So when he sees Christ walking along, he points him out, and, and he points his own followers to him. And this really impressed me about John because there are a lot of people both on this side of the pulpit and on that side of the pulpit who really get this wrong. Because there are a lot of people on the preaching side of the pulpit who begin to forget that Jesus should be the star of the show. They begin to want to be the one in the limelight. They begin to want to have the followers. They begin to want to want, they begin to want to have people follow them. Now don't misunderstand. God has, has entrusted churches, uh, a flock, to, to pastors. And it is a pastor's job to lead them. It is a church's responsibility to follow that leadership. But ultimately, the job of a pastor, the job of an evangelist, the job of, of any Christian minister is to point people to Jesus. It's to lead them to Christ. And so sometimes pastors will think that the limelight should not be on Christ, it should be on themselves. And sometimes people uh, begin to make more of God's man than God himself. And both of those things are wrong. But as John said later, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And so I'm impressed with John, but I'm also impressed with his followers because as, as, as powerful, as strong, as charismatic as John the Baptist must have been, they, re- they, they recognize that Jesus is far greater than John the Baptist. So they leave him and they follow Christ. Now, if you notice in our text today, there were only two original followers of Christ. And the followers that he had here are not that great. Now, I've uh, the other day I was at a, a trivia competition, and one of the questions was something about what is the biggest religion in the world? Almost everybody at my table said, and maybe you think this too, Islam. Isn't that the one we always hear? Islam, oh, it's growing so fast and all this stuff. It is growing fast and it is big, but Christianity is actually the biggest religion in the world. And so you had the biggest religion in the world, over 2 billion followers of Christ, started with two guys. Isn't that incredible? Over 2 billion people follow Christ and all started with two guys. And we only know the name for sure of one of them. Andrew. We don't even know the other one for sure. Uh, most scholars think this is John, the beloved disciple, because in his writings he never, he never draws attention to himself. He always, he always uh, kind of keeps his name out of things. And so uh, this is probably Andrew and John, but we can't be dogmatic about the John part. Now, if you're trying to get together a group of guys that are going to lead the explosive growth of a worldwide Christian movement, 
you'd probably do things different than Jesus did. You'd probably be going to the, to the places where they have the, the best speakers, the most charismatic leaders. But Jesus called ordinary people. For instance, we have Andrew. We don't know a whole lot about Andrew, but what we do know is pretty good, especially compared to the rest of the disciples. When you, when you see Andrew, uh, even in, uh, look at verse, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, what? Simon Peter's brother. Almost every time that you see Andrew's name in the Gospels, it's always with Simon Peter's brother. Now, we all know who Simon Peter is. He was the one that was always brash. This is his brother. You know he was in his shadow a lot, right? I think Peter was probably the firstborn. Andrew's probably the middle child or the, or the second. And you know how the firstborns are. They're always the one front and center. If you're a firstborn, I'm not trying to offend you. But that's, that's, that, they tend to be more front and center than like the middle child, right? Well, that's, what, that's what's going on with Peter. He's always front and center. Andrew's always the one that's in his shadow. And and so if you're if if you were standing around talking at, at you know Jerusalem High School and you said hey who's that guy over there playing football oh that's that's uh, Andrew who's that oh that's Peter's brother you know him oh yeah Peter I remember him that's what it was like he was always the one that was behind the scenes it, it, he was never in the limelight he was evidently didn't seem to be too outgoing he was always in the background now that's actually I think a redeeming quality because anytime uh, stuff gets done at a church, if stuff, stuff gets done at work, if stuff gets done most anywhere, it's a team effort. And it's not usually done by the person that everybody sees. It's usually done by the people working behind the scenes, right? It's not the manager who's getting things done. It's, it's the peons, right? It's, it's the people that are out there just getting it done. And, and a church and, and any, any other organization needs people who will work behind the scenes. And this is a great quality to be able to work behind the scenes with getting overlooked, or at least feeling like you're getting overlooked sometimes, but still going and getting it done and faithfully serving anyway. That's what Andrew was doing. Another thing that we see about Andrew is, is he was always bringing people to Jesus. What's the first thing he did? He went and got his, his brother and brought him to Jesus. Um, in, the, in the incident where Jesus fed the 5,000, whose lunch did they use? Anybody remember? Yeah. A boy. Guess who it was that brought the boy to Jesus? Andrew. When, when some Greeks came and said, we want to see Jesus, guess who they went to? They eventually went to Andrew, and he took them. He always brought people to Jesus. That was, that, that, was his, that was his ministry, and he serves as a model for us in many ways in that. But then we have the other one who is presumably John. Now, again, we don't know a whole lot about these things because, of course, the focus of the Gospels is not on the disciples but on Jesus. But we know that John came from a pretty well-to-do family. They were fishermen. He had a brother, James, who also followed Christ. And even though the artists always paint him as a very effeminate-looking person, he was anything but that. Later, Jesus gave, and we know this from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gave him and his brother, James, a nickname. And it wasn't something like Cephas or Peter I can't really pronounce it because it's about this long, but it translated means sons of thunder. These are the guys, you remember, uh, Jesus was going through Samaria, I believe it was Samaria, and anyhow, there are these unbelievers who wouldn't accept Christ, and James and John came to Jesus, they said, you want us to call down fire from heaven 
and destroy these unbelievers? What a missionary spirit. Now, this, this, these are the people that Jesus had following him. They later turned into a worldwide movement. He, he's a very passionate, zealous person. He is one of the guys that came to Jesus with his mom and said, Can we have a special spot in the kingdom? Remember that? And all the other disciples got mad because they got there first. They said, Hey, let us sit one on your right hand, one on your left. We don't care which one sits where, just let us be in one of the top three. Not real great. Now, zealous, zealousness, passion is, is a good thing, but it can get out of hand like it did with this fire incident. Then we have Peter, the take charge, never got things right guy. He always missed it. He always messed it up. He eventually denied Christ. Again, not the best, but he's an ordinary guy. Philip, never one of the inner three. Peter, James, and John were the three inner, inner group. He was never one of those guys. But the few times he appears in Scripture, he never seems to take initiative with anything, even in spiritual matters. In fact, all these people went to follow Jesus except for Philip. Because what, what does it say um, in verse 43? He found Philip. Philip didn't come to him. He went to Philip. He, he always seemed to see the problems instead of the God that would fix the problems. Jesus said, oh, there are all these people. And Jesus said, okay, let's take this food and, and give it to them. Well, he says, they'll, they'll say, Jesus, there are all these people. We need to feed them. And he said, you feed them. And remember, Philip said, what, if we had what, six months wages, we couldn't feed all these people. As one author put, uh, labeled him, Philip the Fiend, Philip, 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 the bean counter. If I could get it spit out, that'd be great. Okay, he was the one who was counting the pennies. He was counting numbers and, uh, and noses. He was, he was the one who said, we can't do this. And he was, he was spiritually slow in the upper room right before Jesus went to the cross. He's the guy who said, Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And I can just see Jesus face palming and saying, have you been with me for so long and, you, and you've not figured this out? In fact, and I didn't know this until this, this when I say for this, in ancient days, and again, we don't know for sure because it's not in the Bible, but in ancient days, the tradition was, you remember that disciple that said, Jesus said, come follow me, and he said, let me bury my father first. Remember that guy? The ancients believed that that was Philip. Whether it was or not, we don't know. But he never was the one who was out there taking charge. Then we have Nathaniel. He's also called Bartholomew. And we don't know hardly anything about him. We know he was evidently what you might call an honest inquirer. Because even though he was prejudiced, he didn't let that stop him. He said, can anything could come out of Nazareth? But he still goes to check out Jesus. Now, what did Jesus say when he saw him? Because this probably you probably noticed this. I always noticed it. He said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And then he says, how do you know me? And he said, whenever you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that seems to be very impressive to Nathaniel. Back in that day, of course, it's the desert. So if you sat under a fig tree, that's usually what you did whenever you were studying. In fact, uh, some authors say that that was kind of, to sit under the fig tree was kind of like, uh, almost like a euphemism, another way of saying, to, to study the scriptures. So he was sitting there studying the scriptures, evidently. 
And, and maybe he was even reading Genesis 28. You know why I say that? Because what, how did Jesus describe himself right at the very end in verse 51? Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that a bizarre way to talk about yourself? What in the world is that? In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has a dream. And and he sees in, at Bethel, he sees this ladder. We, we sing the song, Jacob's Ladder. And on this ladder, angels are, are ascending and descending between heaven and earth. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying he's a physical ladder. What he's saying is, he's the way that you can go from earth to heaven. He's the one who's going to be bringing that message from heaven to earth. He's the one who's that mediator between God and man. And so it's, it's quite possible that, that Nathaniel is, is reading Genesis 28, saying, what in the world is this ladder going from heaven to earth? And Jesus says, that's me. And that, that very well could be why he said, you're the Son of God. I, I, I believe. Other than that, we don't, see, we don't know anything about him, except in John 21, he went fishing with Peter. That's it. We know he was a disciple and he went fishing. These are not the type of guys we would pick to go from two guys to two billion guys. But yet that's who Jesus chose. He chose regular people. Fishermen, not highly educated, not theologians, not seminarians. And sometimes we look at what we consider to be like our lack of reasons God could use us. Well, I don't have a degree in this. I don't have all this experience. I don't have whatever it is. And God says, I'm not looking for all that. I'm just looking for you. When he went looking for these disciples, he didn't say, do you have a, a, a Master of Divinity degree in theology? He didn't say that. He didn't say, are you Dr. Nathaniel? No, he said, come follow me. You let me take care of the transformation. You let me change your hearts. And I'll use you to, to turn the world upside down. And that's why he's wanting for us. He's wanting that for me. That's why he wants for you. It doesn't matter if we have money or if we're poor. If we're educated or if we're not. If we're eloquent, if we can't hardly put a, a sense together. If you'll give your life to Christ, if you'll follow Him, if you'll let Him shape and mold your heart and mind, He's going to do stuff through you. Maybe like what He did through these disciples, maybe not. But He can do a great thing if you'll just follow Him. So He calls us regular guys. And, and, and He's calling us today too. He says, come follow me. Now, the way he does that today is going to be a little bit different than back then, of course. Back then, he did it personally because, I mean, he was walking around with them. But today, he does it personally, too. Now, we shouldn't expect Jesus to come strolling in through that door over there. But you know what? He still calls us personally. Have you ever, have you ever been reading your Bible and you're studying it, you're praying? You say, man... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had some guts. I wish I was more like that. You ever done something like that? You ever read over here in Genesis where Noah's walking with God? And the Bible talks about how bad the world is. And yet it says that he, was, he alone was faithful to God. And you say, what devotion that is. Everything in the world was going against him. I want to be like that. Have you ever, have you ever been praying and, and, and you're, you're doing whatever it is, and God says, that's good, but why don't you go one step a little bit deeper? Say, I want to follow God like that. 
He calls us personally as He works in our hearts through His Spirit as we read the Word as, as we pray. Again, He's not going to come to us like He did with Philip and speak to us in an audible voice, but when, but when He convicts us and draws us closer to Him, that's, that's that inner calling to deeper fellowship, to, to discipleship. But many times He calls us through His followers. It's more of an outward calling. We probably all have those those aged saints that, man, you, you talk to them and it's like, wow, that person's been through some stuff. And they're still faithful. That's what I want to be like. Maybe it's a parent, a grandparent, you know, Mr. or Mrs., whoever it is in the neighborhood. And you say, man, I, I remember they went through this and they came through it. I, I'm inspired by that. Sometimes we'll go and, and we'll sit in church service and we'll hear the message preached like today where Jesus calls us to be His followers. That's the call that I'm putting out to you today. Follow Christ. If you've never become a Christian, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, do that today. Be His disciple. And if you are a follower of Christ, do it better. Do it more deeply. Do it more uh, earnestly. Make that commitment today. And really, making, making disciples isn't... I mean, I have a responsibility, but you guys do too. Did you know that? Every Christian has a responsibility to make disciples. Because Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives this great commission. And we know that's to all of us. It's to all of His followers. What does Jesus say? Go into all the world. That's where we want to stop. But go into all the world and do what? Ride a bike? No. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's the centerpiece of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. And we do that through telling people about Jesus. Now doing what, what you might call a cold call where we just go to somebody's house, knock on the door, say, Hey, if you were to die today, where are you going to go? Heaven or hell? Maybe you say, that I would never do that in a million years. You'd have to put a gun to my head and I don't, still don't know that I could do it. And really, our society has kind of moved away from that because people don't want people coming up to their house most of the time. That's why people don't have porches anymore. Seriously, if, if you'll notice the houses, they used to have big porches and they just keep getting smaller and smaller, and now all you have is a step. You don't spend time out there. Maybe cold call is not your thing. That's fine. But just in daily life, talk about the Lord. Don't put your light under a bushel. Let it shine. Folks, I want to follow Jesus better, and I hope you do too. And I can tell you, it is not an easy thing. Because if you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus better, guess what? The devil's going to say, whoop, I, that person's on my radar now. And the, the world, the flesh, the devil, they will come after you. They'll try to trip you up. They will hammer you with temptation. They'll attack you. They'll attack your family. Because the devil hates it when people follow the Lord. And sometimes you're going to fall. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. You're not going to follow Jesus like you should. But you know the Bible says that when that happens, God gives us grace and He continues to use us. Peter denied Jesus. When Jesus needed Him most, He said, I'll never leave you. I'm going to stand by your side. Bad stuff happened. He took off. He said, I don't even know Him. But then, God turned around and He used Him in arguably one of the 
the biggest evangelistic events in the world, in history, at Pentecost. He led the early church. We need to follow him as individuals and as a church family to be a great commission church, to reach out and tell people about the Lord. Watch stand with me as the musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in this time, I don't know where you are spiritually. Maybe you have never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never repented of your sin. You've never chosen to follow Jesus. Today be the day to do that. The Bible says that if we'll repent, He'll forgive us. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to Him, He's waiting with open arms. That's the first step. And if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, how closely are you following? When Jesus was taken into custody, the Bible says Peter followed him from afar. And then he denied Christ. I don't think that's an accident. I think there's I think there's a correlation there. Following better. And I'm not a great example. I fail a lot. 